0: Hi, I'm Billy Shore. This is Ad Passion and Stir. We're in New York today with two people who have probably thought about food longer than any two people. I know. Uh, I mean that seriously. I've got Randy Garuti, the CEO of Shake Shack here, who's been a great friend and a champion for Share Our Strength and Our No Kid Hungry campaign. Randy, thanks so much for being here.
1: Thanks, Billy. I am thinking about food right now. You're
0: always thinking about food. I want to know where that started. I think, it's, I, think I read it started at 13 in a bagel shop, but we'll get to that. Uh, And Katie Workman, who is, you know, I still think of you, Katie, as a cookbook editor because that's how I know you.
2: That's how we met. But
0: now you actually have books of your own, Dinner Solved, which is like such a Katie way to say it. I love that, (laughs) Dinner Solved, and the Mom 100 cookbook. Um, And you're all about food and have been from the beginning. And you've also been an amazing champion of share strength for twenty five years, Katie. I know. That's it's how, a very I mean, long time. You don't look old enough, but that's like I won't that's tell how far you how
2: old back. I turned on Sunday. I'll tell you when the microphones are off.
0: Okay. So how did it start?
2: How did the food. whole love of food yeah. start? It started I I was, you know, as a kid, I was one of those kids who read cookbooks. Like that those were the books that were next to my bed. Like I how actually, how old? Ten?
0: Yeah, really? Nine. Okay.
2: Um, you know, my father was a book publisher and they published a number of great cookbooks and including like The Silver Palette and my mom was a great cook. Food was very important in our house and I absolutely loved cookbooks. I just was sort of a little obsessed with them. And um, when I go back now and sort of connect dots, it seems quite obvious. I asked for a typewriter when I was 10. I asked for a pasta machine when I was 12. You know, sort of – it all – you know, sort of the words and the fo- – you know, cooking and words and food and the sort of, you know, the combination and the intersection of all of that was always just incredibly appealing to me.
0: And you've also got some, I remember, because my wife has the same issue, some severe food allergies. And I remember you once telling me, I don't know if it was you were exaggerating or if it was apocryphal, that... Um, you know, when you realized food could kill you, it made you even more interested in understanding everything about food. Yeah,
2: well, it was just, I mean, it was sort of as basic as, you know, gosh, I wonder what falafel tastes like. Well, I'm not going to go out there and eat falafel because there was too many, you know, danger points there for me. So maybe I'll try to make falafel. And then, you know, that kind of thing just sort of grew and grew. And it, it very much is, you know, it very much stemmed from sort of, also I didn't want food to sort of become the enemy because it was so easy to sort of, think that that could happen. And I really love food and I loved, I loved cooking. And so it was sort of a way to sort of get on the other side of it.
0: Randy, with you, I don't even know where to start because I feel like you're building restaurants, you're building culture, you're building community. Uh, There's so many dimensions to what you're doing at Shake Shack and so many dimensions to what your leadership uh, has accomplished. But uh, it sounds like around the same age range, if the bagel shop story in New Jersey is true. Is that really your first exposure to Yeah, I guess I would say,
1: you know, my parents got divorced when I was seven and uh, we didn't have a whole lot of money, but we sure had an abundant... Uh, joyful home. And it was always filled wherever we were, with my mom, with my dad, with our extended families, with awesome food. And I remember both my parents worked in the city and my mom would call us and say, hey, I'm on the bus. I'm going to get home at seven. There's chicken in the fridge, figure out what to do with it. When we were seven or eight years old, my brother and I, and we started to have to fend for ourselves a little bit and figure out how to cook uh, and then as our, our paper route took over and our when we were 10 and someday my dad walked into the bagel shop and said, will you give my son a job? So my first job at 13 years old was making $3.50 an hour off the books in New Jersey making bagels. And I just – I have never not worked in the restaurant industry since, since I was 13. I'm about to turn 43 and – I love this business i'm not sure what I would have done. I've probably worked in hundreds of different restaurants over the years, and it just it's it's such uh, I guess it was my calling early on to be in this business
0: and you were kind of schooled in it as well, right? I mean, you went to the Cornell School of uh, Restaurant hotel management
1: i did i, I which I never had planned, uh, but as I started to think about taking more calculus classes or other things uh, as high school was ending, I said. This, this place, Cornell, sounds cool. They they do food and beverage management and wine tasting. That's for me. And I went to Cornell, and I, I just had some really cool jobs during that time and, and just got to learn about food and restaurants throughout. Uh, and then just was able to use this amazing profession to travel around the world and live in uh, – I got to live in Hawaii and Aspen and Seattle before returning to New York nearly
0: 20 years ago to work with Danny. I've and
2: lived on ninety second street, eighty fourth street. Um <laughs> it was a year in Brooklyn. That was really exciting.
0: Um and there well and there's Shake Shacks all over the world now as well, right?
1: Amazingly, uh this little accident uh with Danny Meyer and our company Union Square Hospitality, uh we never dreamed it. And uh, you know, this started as a hot dog cart. In Madison Square Park to support an art project as the Madison Square Park was rejuvenating and Danny and some great people uh, helped raise some money. And we built this little hot dog cart as part of an art project. And the art project was New York City taxis on stilts. And the artist's idea was, as part of my exhibit, I want to sell some hot dogs underneath it. That's an art exhibit. And Danny uh, created a hot dog cart in 2001. And people lined up, 50 people, 100 people. All these people were lining up for our hot dogs. Turns out they're pretty good. And we did them all the prep in the back of 11 Madison Park's private dining kitchen. Today, that's really the number one restaurant in the world. And that's where Shake Shack began. But it wasn't until 2004 that we dreamed up Shake Shack. And really, Danny sat down and came up with this idea. And we thought we'd sell a couple hot dogs, raise somebody for a park. Turns out the world had other plans for us. Uh, And Shake Shack was off and running.
0: Well, and what I, what I love about it is that um, there was an intentionality, and I know Danny and you both talk about this in the book that came out a couple of years ago, the Shake Shack book, kind of the Shake Shack Bible, about this intentionality about building community uh, and, and, and actually creating what we think of as community wealth, right? It's wealth that goes back into the community.
1: It really is about what Danny termed enlightened hospitality. It's, it's taking care of our team, our guests, and our communities. And when, when all that happens, everybody prospers. Uh, but for us, it was, you know, people ask me all the time now that we're this, this quotes, big company, people say, well, what do I do? How do I get to be the next Shake Shack? And I say, you concentrate on doing one thing really, really well with your, all your passion. And you don't go into it saying, you know, this one thing I'm building it. So there can be a hundred of them. And the minute you do that, it doesn't have the soul. And I think the, the, the accident and the beauty of what happened here is we did it while creating New York's favorite fine dining restaurants, and it was just a little something to help out our community. We did it well, and people liked it. turns out we did another one five years later, and they liked it even more. Uh, And and I think we've just been – it's truly a sincere, organic story uh, that just a whole lot of good and bad decisions led us to where we got today.
0: Um, One of the um, impetuses for uh, Shake Shack, and particularly the Madison Square hot dog cart, was this notion that you could actually create community wealth, that capitalism could be used to build community. How do you think about that? What's the philosophy behind that?
1: Well, for us, when we think about the community wealth, it, it, is, it begins with the bigger we get, the smaller we have to act, uh, especially today. When, when we think about most of the things that we will uh, consume and buy today, we will not go out to go get them anymore. Right, they will just come to us. us. My children's generation will think we are crazy that we used to go to a supermarket and wheel this thing around and put it on a conveyor belt and talk to a human being and then put it back on the belt and then have to unpack it and then have to prep that food and then clean it up. (laughs) They're gonna look at us and say, "What were you guys wasting all your time?" Right. Um, So I think our job, certainly in the retail business, is to create reasons why our community actually wants to gather. And when we do that, that gives us then the platform to do some really cool things. For us, that's teaming up with as many local and artisanal producers as we can for our food. Uh, it's making sure that not just great um, national organizations that are that act locally like share our strength are supported, but other ones are supported that are really about our community. What are we doing at our local Little League team, you know, in our local community center, um, or a hospital in ways that we can either donate our time, our products to help forward the mission of those places. And I know I often tell our general managers, their job is to be the mayor of their town, figuratively. Uh, And if they're doing that, you're going to see the Little League team, you're going to see that teenagers on a date. You're going to see the business meeting. You're going to see it all happen within that community. Um, And when that happens, you've got vibrancy, you've got excitement, and that can undo the very challenging realities of how retail is shifting. I think in our world today, we can still have these places that matter where we're all going to go hang out when we need it. Human beings have an innate need to be with other human beings.
0: Yep. And and as a result, you're not just creating personal wealth or corporate wealth, but you're creating this type of community energy. wealth that we were talking about. And energy.
1: beehive of activity. Yep. That's what we want to be.
0: Uh Katie, you're kind of a you're kind of a guru for moms and families who are trying to figure out how to how to make meals work for their kids. Uh, how did that evolve? Your first job, uh, at least, when, uh, maybe it's not your first job, but when you and I met, you were editing yep. cookbooks, and I you edited, edited one for I Share Strength, yeah, called Home Food, which was what chefs cook at home. Which, by which the is way, is book. still
2: my—I still have an AOL address that is homefood at AOL.com. Is that right? Yeah, oh, I love which, that. That's still because that's a beautiful at the time, book. At the time, I, you know, I loved the title so much and, you know, it was like sort of that thought that I had had and I made it the AOL address and I still, like, when I order Fresh Direct, I still type in Home Food.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Well, what was the evolution for you? I mean, how did you become this person who's now so many other families are depending on for guidance?
2: Um, well, the the short story is that I had kids of my own and I was, you know, even though I was a avid cook and a professional cookbook editor. And um, at that time, I'd actually moved on to the into the online world. And I was the founding editor in chief of a recipe website. But I had two kids. And even though I know my way around a kitchen, I still was dealing I still was and am dealing with the same thing that every parent is dealing with all day long, you're looking at that package of chicken breast. And am I allowed to swear? No. You're you're looking at that package. <laughs> and you not? I'll bleep myself. You're looking at that package of chicken breast, and you're thinking, beep. I you know I can't. Don't want to do the same thing again. And your kid comes home and says, "There's a big sale tomorrow," and I signed you up to make something, and you're thinking, "Oh my god, I've got to figure out life beyond baby carrots for these kids in terms of vegetables, and you know how do I get more fish on the table?" And all of those things are you know day in day out things that parents are are dealing with, and I at that moment had thought to myself, gosh, it would be a great book to have that had like a hundred solutions for these common day-to-day issues that every parent is facing. And, um, At that very moment in time, the longtime editor, cookbook editor at Workman, who had edited the books that I had grown up reading, like Silver Palette and Stephen Reichlin and, you know, tons and tons of these cookbooks, these seminal cookbooks, she had been – I had been writing a newsletter for this recipe website and I had been doing a lot of writing. Um, And she took me out to lunch and said, I I think you should write a cookbook. I, I really, really want you to write a cookbook. And. I, I was completely surprised, but I said, you know, I, I had this idea for like the Mom 100, 100 recipes every mom needs in her back pocket. She said, I love it. Let's do it. And um, it's actually kind of funny because a lot of times people would think, oh, well, Workman Publishing published your book, you know, nepotism city here. But the truth is my father didn't want to publish it. He he didn't get it. It made him very un- uncomfortable. The, the whole thing was like sort of like, oh, no, wait, what? And But Suzanne, my editor – Said, I, I this is going to be a great book. I totally believe in this, and so that's how it started. And um, so I wrote that book, and three years later, Dinner Solved came out. And um, you know, I had my blog, and so. But it was really, it was you know, Randy's speaking of organic things that come out of passion and things that you don't set out to say. I am building this thing that I hope in five years is X, Y, or Z. Uh, it was very much for me this sort of, you know for me also everything to do with cooking everything to do with writing is always about the person on the other end of the plate right so i'm um, i know we'll get to be talking about hunger and why you know what drives all of us in that arena but it's always for me about you know again the person on the other end of the the blog post the person on the other end of the recipe the person on the other end of the meal i've prepared if i lived by myself, I would never cook again, really never would. It would have no interest for me whatsoever. And it's all about sort of helping, you know, giving somebody a great meal and making somebody feel like they're loved and making somebody feel like you made their life a little bit easier. So everything that I've done with the blog and the books and, you know, all the other things that I've done, you know, in my career have always been leading toward that place where I'm sort of like, the satisfaction for me. Like, if I get a letter from somebody who reads my AP column and says, I made this, you know, your, your chicken piccata for my in laws and they thought it was a genius, like, that's the best thing that'll happen to me that day for right, sure.
0: Right. And what's the best place to find the blog? How do we find oh, it? Oh,
2: it's the mom100.com. The
0: mom100.com. And okay. what's
1: the number one kid loved recipe? over all these years?
2: Oh, okay. Well, for my kids, it it remains tacos. Like, just old school. Taco Tuesday? Taco Tuesday, or taco any day. Old school tacos, crumbly meat, you know, hard shell. I mean, I make lots of other, you know, pulled pork this and fish tacos that. But when you get down to it, if it is, we do, usually it's turkey, dark turkey meat, and, you know, turkey tacos with sort of a very classic homemade taco blend mix. And that is, that's... That's the best when, – when my kids say, what's for dinner, that's the best answer I can give. And and a lot of other people make it too. I get a lot of emails about tacos.
0: It sounds a little bit to me, just like to build a bridge between the two of you, that this uh, – you, you know, both aspiring to what I've heard, uh, Randy, you and Danny talk about as fine casual, right, which is kind of like a different notion. But it's one that exists for families and one that exists for customers. When, when – when in the Shake Shack world, when we talk about fine casual, what's that mean?
1: Well, when you, if you go back in time when we were kids – you know, uh, we were still in the convenience era, right? We were coming out of the... I mean, I used to eat TV dinners, right? Right. right. Uh, uh, often, right? And we Why were in Why was the this... fruit
2: always there? And the, the fruit got hot. That was and, gross.
1: And that chocolate cake that's sort of melty, you yeah. can just picture it. Right? You I yeah. eat them
0: on a TV dinner table too,
2: right? There were special <laughs>
1: tables and trays. You go back in that era, and what were what were our parents really looking for? There's, there's convenience. Like, we had to get everybody fed because we're working. Often we have now mom and dad working right which was which was all of a sudden you got to solve for this whole new way to feed the family and you know i think what happened and it really happened in the 2000s with the advent of food network or the the food information generation um where we look back at our company and we say gosh we were so lucky to be born in 2004 really at that time think about it facebook had just been born there was no such thing as twitter and none of us had ever heard of an iphone but what was just happening at that time was we were all learning about food, and at that time we said, gosh, I, I want to eat really well, and now I want to know where my food comes from, and I want to make sure that the ingredients have a provenance that I'm proud of. And I think that, that last decade and a half has totally changed everything, both for restaurants and at home. And you think about Whole Foods and places that didn't exist. Uh, there was health food restaurants, and that was a whole bunch of weirdos in a place, right? That was not a thing. That was generally – and now it's, gosh, I really want to know. And, and because of the social media generation, we talk about this all the time in our company. Everywhere we go, all the time, we're sharing with everyone we know and a whole bunch of people we are not. So what does that mean? We've got a whole bunch of pressure to make good choices because we're going to send you a picture of Mom's Taco Tuesday. So mom, you better make a good taco Tuesday. And I'm going to want to know where that meat is from yep. and what ingredients are there. And because of that, there's this new, I think, pressure, but it's, it's really pride of where ingredients come from and how we cook them. And that's what we call fine casual is saying, hey, how are we going to take the humble cheeseburger, which people want to eat, and just make it really good and no hormones or no antibiotics and just care about the ingredients that we're putting in our body? None of us should eat a burger every single day. But when it, we do, let's make it a good one. And tell you about it.
0: Is there a gap between what you want your customers to know about Shake Shack and what they actually know when when they leave or afterwards? And and how are you trying to close that if there is one? Because, you you know, I I guess I'm getting to, you know, what you would uh, think of or describe as the brand promise for Shake Shack and –
1: we like to say we stand for something good. That's kind of the brand promise and everything that we do with our team, with our ingredients, with the way we treat people and our communities. But I think the gap exists in that. I think there's too many companies that push at you and scream at you how good they are, and come into the restaurant and on our walls. We're going to say all the ways that we're amazing, so that you you'll hit you over the head with it, and it's often. There's some greenwashing involved in that. And I think you gotta be careful, uh, so we don't hit you over the head with it. I, I guess I wish our guests knew even more the lengths with which we go to put that burger on the plate. Um, but we're we're a little more gentle. We're a little more conversational and dialogue than we are about pushing at you. Um, but it does drive every decision we make, and it's hard. It's hard. Uh, you know, I always say the bigger we get, the smaller we have to act. And now with 164 restaurants around the world, that, that gets harder and harder every day, but is essential to the way we think. Um, you know, just this morning, we were tasting a new burger for a new city that we're going to. I can't say where just yet, um, but it's going to be cool. And we said to ourselves, OK, we want to be who we are, but wouldn't it be amazing if we actually had a really small ranch right near this restaurant that could provide just one burger? And it might only be that we could do 50 burgers a day. And that's it. And then we run out. But wouldn't it be amazing to do something totally different? And that's the way we're constantly struggling and challenging ourselves to go a little bit further each, each time.
0: So 164 Shake Shacks in the United States Yikes. and around the world uh, and growing. I think when you all did your IPO, there was a, you know, a number of you know, some 400 eventually to, um, to be built.
1: Yeah, we're getting there. We're, we're getting, getting there. there. Look, nobody ever dreamed there'd be number two, let alone an IPO. And I mean, uh, we joke, We I couldn't spell IPO three years ago when we decided to do it. Um, and, and that journey has been fantastic uh, in, in a million ways. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're headed towards, I, I think the way we look at it is we like what we do. People seem to like what we do. So we kind of want to do it more often and in a lot more places. So to the extent people continue to line up. Which they did in downtown LA this week when we just opened. Um, you know, we want to we want to keep giving them what they like.
0: I have a feeling that your kids like what Randy does. I know that mine do. Katie, Eighty Six um, Street, I, baby. I, I, I do as well. So it's a fair trade, though, it's
1: right? A, I mean, you can't you can't oh, go out I, to Shake Shack every day. You, you got to have happy. the hundred recipes yeah. and the amazing stuff at home. And you look at our family's balance. We're very much mom or and or dad cooking at home many nights a week and then we're going out and when we go out we want really good food. So it's such a good balance of all of that.
2: I just, I always say it for, you know, especially for, you know, in, in the parent world but also just for everyone. Like every day is a different reality, right? One day you've got, you know, You've carved out the time to do some wonderful cooking project. Another day, you really want that 30-minute or less meal. And another day, you are really glad that Shake Shack is two blocks away. So, you know, that's – and and no judgments, right? No judgments at all. And and no judgments – you know, you do make the best choices you can for your family. And um, those of us who can afford to vote with our wallets, as they say, you know, make these decisions about, you know, buying – all you know only the the ingredients that you know you know the provenance of or that you know you feel really good about but there's you know there's there's a lot of people with a lot of different realities and i think that that also just needs to be you know understood in the world and and that that any you know people who are sort of passing any sort of judgment on like well you know if you're not buying organic then blah 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 you know that's that is you know a stance of privilege to some degree and um, and I think all of this just sort of goes into the hopper and, you know, every, people have their own levels and, you know, and every day is different and, you, you know, not, not beating oneself up for any of that is also a big part of it, I think, especially for a, a person who's cooking for, you know, themselves or families, all of that.
0: Um, let's talk a little bit about the connection between food and community and um some of the issues that bring the three of us together. Katie, we mentioned that we go back twenty-five years and it started because we were doing a book that was gonna the proceeds of which were gonna benefit the anti-hunger work of Share Our Strength. Um you've been involved in so many different ways. You're on the board of City Harvest here in New York, which is a really impressive organization that helps rescue food and get it to people in need. Um how did the connection to the issue of hunger become such a big force for you
2: um i you know it, it's not going to be an unfamiliar story to anyone in this room or probably even anyone listening in the sense that um many many people who have been drawn toward food as a profession as a profession are you know interested in feeding people and anybody who is interested in feeding people is also sort of by default, concerned with the fact that not everyone has access to good food or enough food. And that for me was just an incredibly strong and immediate connection. Like all, all of this, the in, the interplay between all of that is sort of, you know, always on the front of my brain. It, it always sort of, it always sort of matters. And um, whether it's, you know, so the work that that City Harvest does, for instance, you know, is rescuing and delivering food within the five boroughs, and they de- rescued and, and delivered 56 million pounds of food last year, which is incredibly impressive. And then the other side of that coin is that there is, you know, New Yorkers are in need of 56 million pounds of food, you know, and that's just and we're just one agency. You know, there's other agencies doing similar work, and Share a Strength funds and supports agencies like this all around the country and outside of the country. So when When we met, I mean, it was just, you know, it it is, you know, on the simplest level, just heartbreaking to think that in a country with so much and we, you know, the knowledge that somewhere close to 40 percent of food in this country is wasted and that so much food is needed and so many people do not have enough. and, And if they're not hungry, they're food insecure, meaning they're not sure where their next meal is coming from. And. This is just an incredibly important driving force in everything that I think about and I do and I think I, – I don't think that's unique amongst – for me, amongst people in the food profession and that's how Share Strength was built. That's why your name came from, right? It was about how do people literally share their strength and the first people that you went to and drew upon in your work and feeding hungry – people around the world and especially in this country were people who feed people for a living, right? And and the Taste of the Nation events in dozens and dozens of cities rely upon chefs, restaurateurs to to provide food for people who come, pay money, and then that money goes towards feeding hungry people. So this is this is part of the circle, I think, of of what we do. And it's it's um it's it's really strange to say that it's a a pleasure that is part of the circle because it's not obviously a pleasure to know that this need exists and is so so dire in many cases, but it's it's um I don't think I would be able to be as satisfied by what I do for a living if that piece of you know the piece of helping to feed hungry people wasn't a big part of it
0: well there there i I know there's a lot of people that believe uh exactly as you do because i I'm biased, but I don't think there's an industry anywhere that um makes as consistent and effective a contribution to solving a social problem as the the restaurant and culinary community does on the issue of hunger. It's just, it's really remarkable. Randy, you know, we work together in a lot of different capacities. Union Square Hospitality Group and Danny Meyer have been involved. But Shake Shack in particular has become one of the single largest contributors to anti-hunger work nationally through something called the Great American Shake Sale. Um, can you tell yeah, us? Yeah, we, we
1: love and, this. And where,
0: where did it come from? We're about I sh- to I launch. Know.
1: Well, I, I think it came from us uh, and the Share Our Strength team just having been connected for nearly 30 years with Danny's uh, involvement in Union Square Hospitality Group. My myself being involved with Share Our Strength, City Harvest, and other organizations through our fine dining restaurants, and we just said, you know what? There always there's often a disconnect between how you donate to these things and how do you actually connect the the true consumer right to the person who's getting the food. And and we, seven years ago, came up with an idea. We said, every time you come into Shake Shack during this month, uh, we're going to say, hey, you want to give us $2? We'll To give it directly to No Kid Hungry. We're not going to take any bit of it. And we're going to hit you back right away with a $5 coupon for a free shake at Shake Shack. And it's a pretty tough thing to turn down. This is not give us $2 and feel good about yourself. This is give us $2, we'll give you five back, and you can really feel good about yourself and get a free shake next time you come in. Uh, and we tried it, and it's been incredible. Over the seven years, over the six previous years, uh, we've raised nearly $3 million. Uh, and it's all happening with our team. So we have competitions. We have, we have shacks who are battling out who can raise the most money. We have shacks who battle out who can raise the most money per person that comes in. We have all these different ways that the team gets really jacked up about it. Uh, and and everybody wins. It is the definition of a win-win opportunity.
0: And this year, the Great American Shake Sale starts sometime in April. I yeah, think. we're going to do uh, it in April. Uh, uh, and so uh, we've got to look for that, uh, and we'll, we'll – and it'll be at all shakes
1: to nationwide, everywhere, uh, all all shacks all around the country, and people have the opportunity to do that. So we well, hope that, you come in and grab a free shake.
0: That gives me an excuse to go to a lot of different Shake Shack's, and I do every year during the Great American Shake Sale. And one of the things I love to do, uh, you know, there's a you know stand for something good. Uh, also, suggest you might be standing in line for a little bit because there's a lot of people that want to go to Shake Shack. And so one of the things I love to do is stand in the back and uh, watch your. Cashiers, um, is that what you call them? Cashiers, yeah. Or uh, so the people at the cashiers really registered. our hospitality Host- team. Hospitality team. Um, I love to watch them sell these kind of two dollar coupons for the five or six dollar shake. And what's so amazing about it, and what's such a testament to the kind of the community and the culture you've built and the training, is uh, some of them talk about the work as effectively, if not more effectively, than you know my colleagues that share our strength. They really they when without kind of like interrupting the flow of the order or slowing the customer down, they're able to very concisely get out a message about how many hungry kids we've got in this country, that it's a solvable problem, and here's how these $2 are going to make a difference. And I've stood there and I've seen every single person in line do this $2 coupon. And the part of this that I love, and this won't surprise you and it shouldn't have surprised me, uh, is once when I got to the front of the line at a store in Boston, I said to the young woman, I said, wow, I said, first of all, I want to introduce myself and thank you. I'm Billy Shore and I started Share Strength and I really appreciate uh, the job you're doing with the Great American Shake Sale. I said, but it's so impressive to hear you um, talk about this with such enthusiasm. And she said, oh, well, Mr. Shore, I used to be one of those kids. And that's it. Which just totally gave me goosebumps, you know, just really just like stopped me in my tracks.
1: Well, and that's the beauty of it, right? Whether our leaders uh, themselves have experienced Mm -hmm. hunger Uh, Or at least through this program, we've gotten the opportunity to visit schools, to be in touch with people, to see where the money really goes. Um, and our team who who often has been touched by this personally as they 've grown up, you know look I, I go to my kids go to new york city public schools right they're they 're impacted by it and, and having uh, opportunities for free great food in the morning when they go in, you know free lunch opportunities, all the ways that this touches anybody in our world it 's really easy that 's the coolest thing about our company is you know you, you walk around and you say, "I work for Shake Shack at any level." It always causes some kind of reaction. Yep. You know, it's something you can put your hands on. You know what we do? We sell hamburgers, fries, and shakes, and we do it in a pretty good way. And when you can actually now impact things that people grew up dealing with, it's such a cool paying it forward and come back around uh, that that makes our team really enjoy this time. So we, uh, you know, it, it, it's cool. We're going to something we're going we're proud to be a part of with Share Our Strength.
0: Well, I was at a school in New York a few months ago. I think it was PS95 on um, West End Avenue and 90th uh, Street. And, you know, pretty nice neighborhood. But 67% of the kids in that school uh, were below the poverty line and getting free or reduced price school lunch. Uh, and a handful of them, um, I remember talking to the fourth grade teacher um, because the class seemed kind of small to me, and she said, well, there's a there's a group of them that have to come from a homeless shelter in Queens every morning. Uh, these are fourth graders, and if they miss the bus at 6 a.m., then they have to take two trains. So, And then she said they always miss it, and so they're always a little bit late. But when you think about the things we're asking our schools to do uh, and the fact that our future depends on these kids getting a good education. Mm-hmm. And um, you can't get, it's,
2: it's hard to get a good education if you don't have a good breakfast. It yeah. just is. I mean, every teacher will tell you that
0: this doesn't work any other way right there's no there's no way to get around it you
2: know the um the program one are the programs that share strength created and sort of distributes through different organizations including city harvest is the cooking matters and shopping matters yeah. Sorry, program which is program. nutrition education sometimes it's for parents sometimes it's for kids in schools and um and i taught a couple of them through city harvest and one of the most just, you know, one of the things I'll never forget was one day I was teaching these kids how to make um, salad on a stick. So we had all these cut up vegetables and, you know, skewers and we made this sort of a vinaigrette and they were, and then we had all these leftover vegetables. And they said, what are you going to do with the leftover vegetables? And I said, well, you could you could make a great soup with them. And they said, you know, how would you do that? And so I started to explain it, and I said, why don't I just come back tomorrow and we'll make the soup? So we came back the next day. We took the vegetables. Um, many of, you know, and, and a lot of these kids, you know, had not seen a zucchini before. You know, they maybe they knew some of the vegetables, but not all of the vegetables. And we made the soup, and I brought these, you know, takeout containers for them to bring it, for them to bring any leftovers home, but they all tasted the soup, and each one of them said, I want to bring this home to my family. I want to bring this home to my parents. And they, they was like just such a desire. It was
0: so just that exposure so to cool. it made they such an impact. So
2: Yeah, it was amazing. And what I'll tell you, just another story that I have never forgotten was in a, in one of these cooking matters um, classes that was in a preschool. Um, an instructor held up um, a baby carrot and she said, okay, can everyone tell me what this is? There's a whole bunch of really little kids and all the kids raised their hand and all of them thought it was a Cheeto.
0: <laughs> a Cheeto.
2: Never <laughs> will forget that story. Wow. Yeah.
0: That's, Okay, that's chilling, right? <laughs> it's a little, that's chilling. a little chilling. It remains chilling. Um, well, one of the reasons we have cooking matters, and one of the reasons we have our school breakfast program, is because the Great American Shake Sale raised, has raised a total of two point five million dollars since it's begun. Um, which, Randy which, said two point seven. I think two point seven. I don't know,
2: it's Billy.
1: We're going to check the accounting yeah. on that. So. I think we might have done a little uh, better I know over that by the, the years. Time we get you might be right. right.
0: We'll check. see. But but I guess what that suggests to me, Randy, is that uh, there's a a real intentionality about building a culture in the company. And I feel like Shake Shack and the Union Square Hospitality Group are pretty famous for a culture of hospitality and training and consistency. But talk a little bit as a business leader uh, in terms of business tips. I think most people look at it and say, well, what's the secret sauce not just on the burger? Mm -hmm. But, you know, how do you do that? How do you build that type of culture?
1: Well, really, credit to my boss, Danny, who, who really, I think, grew up being that person and helping us all remember, and I don't think this was talked about this way if you go back just 20, 30 years, you know, we live in a noble profession in the restaurant and food business, right? We, we, our job is to take care of other people every single day. That's what we do. We start doing that by taking care of our team first. Uh, only then can we take care of our guests and our communities, our suppliers, and ultimately the people who invest in us. Uh, So I think Danny always taught us that with a much longer-term view. Uh, And when we get people in, you you wouldn't believe the impact we can have on new young workers. Often our team is entry-level job, right? It might be their first job. Um, It often is the first time somebody ever patted them on the back and said, you really did good work today. You just imagine the power of that. You think about culture. You think about places and people who may not have grown up, with a leader in their life who looked them in the eye and said, thanks. Uh, And I'll tell you, you know, nothing upsets me more. And I've, I've given talks about this as when the world uses the term flipping burgers as the lowest form of work.
0: Right, right, right.
1: It, it just bugs me so much and uh, and it bugs, I, I think, our whole team. When you think about the opportunity that we have where the number of jobs that we've created, we have more than 5,000 employees today. The number of those people who started making 8 nine, ten 9 $10 an hour and now have homes and children and families paid for by the leadership roles that they've created for themselves in our company.
0: Well, Randy, say a little bit more about taking care of our team because almost every business says, you know, our employees are our priority. We, we invest in them. We support them. But there's something different that you're doing, and I'd like to just, you know, tease that out. A little bit, in addition to the you know the the gratitude and the pat on the back. What else is goes into taking care of our team? I think it's so it's powerful. everything
1: all day, and I think it starts with leadership. I think it starts with making sure that leaders are um, bringing in the right people, bringing in people who are intellectually curious and genuinely warm, and have a good work ethic, and really want to do good. You know, those are things that. Uh, what we call the 51% of you, that, that you should be tipping the scales towards your emotional intelligence. We've never in an interview for somebody said, uh, do you know how to make a milkshake? <laughs> <laughs> we don't care. We'll teach you how to do the 49%, the technical, but we can't teach you how to be emotionally aware. And those are things that we look for, the things that we study, we think about quite a bit. And if somebody turns out to not be on the the on the, the kind of good, Good folks, team, uh, they can't exist there, uh, and we move very quickly on things like that to make sure that our culture is lifting each other up. You know, all, all boats rising with the tide.
0: I don't, I don't <laughs> pretend to have emotional intelligence, but Randy, Randy, when when you're really trying to um, ascertain uh, if somebody has the emotional intelligence that you're looking for, the uh, you know the emotional IQ, what kind of questions do you ask? What's your strategy? Is it? Is it words? Is it body language? What are you looking for? Well,
1: I rarely look at a resume. I almost don't care, although not to dismiss the importance of that, but I want to know the person. Um, And I want to know, not from the traditional interview questions of, tell me your weaknesses or something like that, but I want to know, tell me about a really challenging time in your life and what you did about it. Um, I want to know who you are when you're not going to be at work. Tell me about you, the person. Uh, I often ask, who's your best friend, Billy? Billy? Billy, who's your best friend? That's a great question. That's
0: a great question. Who is it? I'm going to say Will Cantaris in Manchester, New Hampshire. So I'm going to say, (laughs) Billy. I'm making Katie blush. (laughs) You've Uh
1: disappeared and Will is here. And I'm going to say, Will, tell me about Billy. Really tell me about Billy. And I want to know what Will says. Um, I want to know if we're sitting here, we're lucky enough that a year from now, everything has gone great and our relationship's amazing and you love it here and I love working with you. What happened? Um, and I just want to dig into the person and really just – I want to challenge them to just find out where their, their moral high ground is and who got them there. That's the stuff that to me is the best predictor yep. of success. And then at the end of all that, uh, I just want to try to talk them out of the job and I'm going to tell you all the bright, shiny objects about this place, and now I'm going to try to talk you out of it by telling you all the worst things about it. If you still come back fighting for more, that tells me you really you want a to lot. be here.
0: That tells you a lot. Um, you know, one of the things I always do, Randy, is I, um, uh, similarly, I'm not that interested in resumes, but I love to get folks to talk about their mom or their dad, and I feel like within the first five seconds of the way they've even just said the word my mom or my dad, I know if I want them as a colleague. It's just, you know, you just you know.
1: And then there's a lot of ways you gotta do it. You gotta pay people well. You know, you've gotta give good benefits. You know, long before there was Obamacare, we had health care for our team, you know. Um even our team who works twenty five hours a week in nearly part time jobs.
0: They get health care. They have the option to get health care.
1: Yeah. Um and and all kinds of different things. We we you know we, we treat you like real human beings, and we want our team to stay with us. And we we very clearly say, here's how you get to the next step. So if you're an ambitious young person, and you want to do it. It's really clear, and frankly, so that path it's really is clear. Easy.
0: That's very interesting. And I think
1: that's what yeah. it. I, what what ultimately is all we have in life to keep us going towards the next step? Hope. <laughs> if you lose hope. You got nothing. And Billy, I'm sure you've seen this more than we ever do. But when we can provide that simple word and hope and opportunity and what it looks like that, hey, you know what? I have felt like I'd have no opportunity. But this place, every time I go in, gives me the chance to say, I got a little hope that tomorrow might actually be better than yesterday. And I think that's what we do um, as well as we possibly can every day impacting the lives of our teams.
0: I think we've all got a lot to learn from you. That's really, really, really powerful and really helpful. It it feels like for both of you, as uh, much effort as you put into what you do, it doesn't sound like work. It sounds like you're really just loving it. And you've used words like soul and passion and authenticity. Um, Is this work, Katie?
2: No. I mean, you know, if if you are lucky enough to love what you do for a living, that is, I think, probably – I I think up there with sort of the greatest gifts that that you can have. And if you are lucky enough to love what you do for a living and be able to use that as also a way to, you know, corny as it may sound, to sort of give back, make other people's lives enriched in some way, you know, help people who are not as fortunate in some, you know, in different ways and and do it in a non-sanctimonious way. I think that that's, you are a, pretty lucky person, and I count myself as a pretty lucky person. And you person. figured out how to do that. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, like, I, I can't say, I mean, well, again, you know, not, not much calculated about it, not much planned, I'm, you know, if you ask me what I want to be doing in three years from now, I will, you know, go, uh, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not good at that. I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not good at sort of looking into the future. But, um, but if you're, but I, I, I do get an enormous amount of pleasure from what I do. And if other people are getting pleasure from it or benefiting it from it in some way, then that is just, you know, critically important to how what my enjoyment is of what I do, you know.
0: Well, that seems to be true of both of you and Randy. I think I, I read um, in an interview that when you and Danny first connected, Danny was – thinking to himself, this guy just like lives and breathes restaurants. this is what he loves to do, speaking of you, and you one of the things you said and we just kind of like glossed over it at the very beginning was just like you know I love everything about this this industry say a little bit more about why
1: well i 've always shot down the notion that there's this thing called life and there 's this thing called work it 's all life we got life every day we wake up we got life we 're going to choose to do some of that at work we 're going to choose to do some of that at home, and I think the minute you begin to pull the two apart and say, well, gosh, can't wait to get out of here and have my life, which you hear all the time. Right. That's the minute you fail. And look, I, there, is, there is no easy answer for hardworking folks uh, out there, all of us included. The only thing we we try to work towards is being present. I know when I'm reading my daughter a bedtime story last night, I am thinking about. I'm t- I'm prone to think about the hundred emails that are coming in during that time, and I sometimes even have my phone next to me, and I'm about to grab it, and I, and I have to fight to be present and say, "No, this is this is story time with my daughter. That's what matters." And when I'm at work, I need to be so into what I'm doing at work, so I'm present for my team. And I love what Katie just said. It's, it's to me the greatest satisfaction, certainly at this stage of what we've been so fortunate to achieve in this company is mentoring and knowing that somebody's day today hopefully was made just a little bit better by my work uh, or my attitude or one idea or something I might have said. Uh, that's where I'm getting my greatest satisfaction and joy now. And I think for the rest of my career, that's really what who I want to be for our company and for our for my own life. Um, You know, today my daughter's going to come in and give out the Girl Scout cookies she sold around my office, right? That's not an uncommon story for moms and dads around the country to be doing. And the minute we have an office that doesn't allow or make that an awesome celebrated thing, gosh, I don't want to be there. And, and, you know, from the minute I met Danny Meyer when I was 23 years old till now, I have been able to be myself with him, with our shareholders, with my kids, with my wife, every day I tell our team, the minute you show up and you're being somebody else, please
0: leave. We so, hired Randy, you because of who I, you are. I'm going to send you, if you don't already have it, There's, uh, my, my wife was on the board of uh, um, an organization led by a man named Parker Palmer. I don't know if you know his work, but he's written a book called... Uh, uh, the hidden wholeness, living an undivided life. And the whole point of it, which you just talked about so eloquently, is that most of us have a kind of a front stage life and a backstage life. And that's that's a divisive thing. That's a corrosive thing. That's a hard way to live. And he talks about bringing what he calls soul and role together. Uh, and if you can do that, then you're leading an undivided life. And it's just so much more powerful in terms of everything about it.
1: And I so. think we can do that more than we admit to ourselves. First of all, as employers – To make it possible for people to be that and to be their whole selves and to be their best selves. That's like uh, we hired you because of your gifts. This place should maximize the value of your gifts. And if it shouldn't, there's a lot of places that that will.
0: I I still read to my son's turning 13 in uh, two weeks and I still read to him every night. Either uh, me or my wife, Rosemary, does. And it's just a special time. But once when he was four. Uh, I was having a moment like you just described, and I was reading. You know, you can read a children's story without really, you know, getting uh, <laughs> yeah. any of the words. It happens all the time. Yeah. something else, thinking. And what I remember just happened? He, hat, hat,
2: sock, yeah. something like that.
0: Well, well, Nate put one hand on each side of my face, and he looked me straight in the eye, and he said, da focus, focus. Oh, and he could, like, I, if a four-year-old could tell that I wasn't present, that was a wake-up call to me that I got to do a you talked My wake-up call,
2: it's, you're bringing back a memory. My when When my older one was really little, he was about two— and you know, it was always you know, can you play with me? Can you play with me? And as a parent, you're rushing, right? You're rushing. You're, getting, you're making the phone call, and your email, and you're making dinner. And and I realized that I had been saying to him like, okay, I can do this, but for, for like two minutes. And and at some point, he said to me like, can you play with me just for two minutes? Just, and I was like, oh, oh that, yeah, that hurts. God. I was like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> so yeah, then I was like, okay, yes, and for more than two minutes, I will sit down and play Thomas the Tank Engine with you.
0: Um, as we kind Of wrap up, tell me what comes next for each of you. I'm not I just gonna, I'm not you, gonna ask you to go three that. years ahead, no, not, not three years ahead. Maybe Randy can but answer that. Is there another book um, in the works? There, there will say, be another book. Say.
2: Well, there will, well th- there will be another book. I have to get my crap together and start writing it because I, you know, the thing is now I'm so happily busy, but you know, with all these other writing things that I have to do and all these other, you know, cooking and you know, professional things that I get to do, have to do that, you know, saying. It, it's it's an enormous um, amount of self-discipline at this point to say, okay, I'm going to carve out the time to really think about the book. That's that's the thing too, right? Carving out the time from the things that you have to do every day to think about the things that you want to do big oh, picture. Course. That's like no matter what, what you're doing. If you're having some degree of success, you've got a lot of things that you should do today, tomorrow, this week, next month, and it prevents you from saying, okay, I've got to carve out the time to really say what do I – what is my next big project, or what is my next big initiative, or 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 where you know in three years do I in three years do I want to have another book? Well, that will take me today saying or or next tomorrow next week saying well, you, you know I'm going to sit down really figure out what that book is um, and and figure out how to block off the huge chunks of time necessary to create a book that I would feel good about. So that is on the horizon, um, and everything else are just things. Just I I do tend to sort of like. Things happen, and and I I go to them. I don't know well, how to explain well, it,
0: but because you're human, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, Randy, uh, I know you're. I know one of the things that's next is you're opening up more stores. But um, what else should we be? And and, and I guess there's. A city uh, not to be named that's going to have a very special burger from yeah, what you described. That's that's kind of what my appetite where could it be? What what else? Somewhere is next where for, there's uh, a farm
2: nearby. Yes, so it's not, a ranch. It's not Bronx. A <laughs> ranch
0: nearby. Uh, well,
1: I'll tell you, we just finished the Shake Shack book this year, or last year, so we're definitely not in the mood to do book. another book. What that about a, a Randy Gruddy leadership book? I'm not sure that anybody wants to read that, but uh, I do. But uh, we'll see. I, I think for us, well, for me, uh, I, I love what Katie just said. I, I, creating space uh, to imagine what's next is probably the most important way to get there. I've always very firm with everyone I talk to that uh, it starts for me with being a great husband to my wife and and father to my children. Only then can I be a good CEO. And I, um, as I look at what's next, I think not too long-term in May, we will gather 700 leaders for our leadership retreat at Shake Shack. Um, This started in 2009 and there were 18 of us this year. There's 700. And, I'm looking towards that to have an opportunity to inspire the lives of our team uh, and really just create some opportunity for you. So for me, it's about uh, what's next is how many more people can we be mentoring and driving forward to believe things that they may not look in the mirror and believe themselves.
0: That's a big. That's a big. What's next? That's every day. Um, I want to thank you both for being with us. You're both such models of how uh, citizens uh, and unelected officials, and you don't have to be (laughs) a billionaire, you don't have to be a senator to make a really powerful impact in the community. Katie Workman, you've done it with Share Strength, you've done it with City Harvest, you've done it with your blog, Uh, you've done it in so many ways. It's just a real pleasure to reconnect with you and to have you on Ad Passion and Stir. So thanks, well, Katie.
2: You know I have loved you and your organization for 25 years. And that's what I'll be doing in the future, continuing to do that.
0: Good. I hope so. And Randy Garudi, uh, I feel like we're just at the beginning of your story and the Shake Shack story. You're, t- you're turning 43. I'm jealous. I, I just turned 63. Um, but you've got a lot of great things ahead of you. I do hope there's a Randy Garudi leadership book. I really do. <laughs> uh, you've got words of wisdom that I think Um, would mean a lot to a lot of people and um, grateful for the great American Shake Sale that's coming up as well.
1: Thanks, Billy. Thank you. We didn't spend any time talking about your incredible work and and the way you lead, but you, what you have created with your team uh, is just one of the most special things that's ever been brought to this country and to our communities. And, you know, thank you for giving us a platform by which to help. Without that, you know, we'd have a lot harder time. So thank you.
0: Well, I feel like our organizations have learned a lot from each other. Danny and I often talk about uh, Union Square Cafe and Share Our Strength started the same year. um, And we got to know each other pretty early on. And we've all learned a lot from each other, uh, as the three of us have. So thanks so much. I'm Billy Shore. This is Add Passion and Stir. Ad Passion and Stir is distributed by District Productive. Our senior producer is Kerry Thompson. Our executive producer is Peter Ogburn. Ad Passion and Stir is the creation of Billy Shore, Debbie Shore, and Paul Woody Woodhall. I'm Billy Shore. You're listening to Ad Passion and Stir from Share Our Strength.